Well, it is really good uh, to be here. Um, I, I'm a little nervous. Um, when I was a child, well, when I was younger, uh, we would speak in little churches and there weren't microphones and there weren't these things on your head and you didn't have to remember to turn the mute on and then worry about what if it was on when you were singing. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get all this. I wasn't sure I could drink the communion cup with this thing. I didn't know if it was in front of my mouth. And a couple of times I thought it was a fly. And I... <laughs> so um, kind of shook here this morning. <clears throat> it really is. Uh, by the way, if I forget to turn it off, after I'm through and they start singing, somebody do this. I really don't want to mess up. Okay, okay if I'm singing on this thing, you cut me off. Um, I can sing on the pew. I love to sing. Um, and I told Mark Welch one time that when it got to God, I sounded as good as him. So, you know... Um, I don't worry about that. I appreciate Alan so much in opening us with the question, why are we here um, uh, this morning? It's a good question. I hope you're here because you believe in God and you believe He is the only true and living God and you came here to praise Him. And you came here to bow before Him because we are so much weaker and so much below God that we are completely dependent upon His grace and His mercy. And so we throw ourselves at His feet if we offer Him praise and worship. I also hope you came here to stir one another to love and good works. I hope you came here to encourage somebody. And I hope when you leave today, it was a great day to be here. I was fortunate to grow up <clears throat> with parents who uh, took me to church every Sunday and didn't just take me to church you know we they tried to tell me that during the week and church was a place that you knew people and you knew it was okay and it was kind of a a relaxing place to go and in the middle of the week when the world was coming down on you, you could come to church and it was okay and I want us to be that way. And I am truthfully going to tell you the other part about all this stuff is really not all that bad. But I am a little nervous about what I want to say to you today. And I'm a little nervous because I feel like whatever I say somebody's going to misunderstand me, and they're going to cut me off, and they're not going to hear me out. I'm also a little nervous because I'm sure I won't say it just right. And I'm also a little nervous because I don't know all the answers to all the questions that I have about what God wants me to do. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me today and try to listen try to hear what I say 
And if you do misunderstand, you're welcome to talk to me one-on-one anytime. But I hope we all can hear the voice of God. And I hope that I can be his mouthpiece today to do that. So before we start, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you today and we acknowledge you as the only true and living God. We know that you sent your only son, Jesus, to shed his blood, to give his life, to sacrifice his body on a cross that his blood might atone for our sins so that we indeed could have the hope of living with you again in a relationship with you that was like it was in the beginning in the garden. Father, we want to walk with you and we want to talk with you. And we want to know that you're there walking with us. Today, Father, as we look and we try to understand your will for our lives, and especially in relationship to being your people, to being Jesus to the world, to those who struggle, and to each other. And I pray, Father, that you will open our eyes and our heart to see things the way you see them and to do things the way you would have them done. Thank you for giving us so much. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for bearing with us. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I want to begin today by sharing with you a struggle that I myself have been going through trying to understand because the world that we live in is a crazy place. And here's the beginning of the struggle. In the world that we live in, we don't live in a world that really reveres God. There was a time in the United States, I think, when basic principles of God were looked upon as the right way. And our laws were very often reflected in that. And the way that people lived Even though people didn't always do right, uh, they knew what was right and wrong sometimes. There was an idea that what we find in the Bible was the right way to live. Today, in the world that we live in, I, I don't really think the Bible has any more credence than a lot of other good philosophical ways to live. And so we live in a different world. But you know what? God's people lived in Egypt. And they still honored God. They lived in Babylon. And they still called upon God. They lived under Roman rule even when Jesus came. And they honored the emperor. And they still honored God. So today, it doesn't really matter what's going on in the world. What really matters is what's going on in the nation of God. His people. His church. And what concerns me is that God has always intended for us to follow His teachings. 
And if you look in the Old Testament, over and over again, God punishes his people because they turn away from him. And they walk in ways that are not his ways. And it causes them to suffer. And sooner or later, they wake up and they call upon God and he returns to them. And we see that cycle over and over. There are scriptures that seem very harsh and it's hard to understand. We studied in our Sunday morning adult Bible class an Old Testament story about a man who gathered sticks on the Sabbath. God said, kill him. He's disobeying the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy... Um, there are laws given in Leviticus the laws were given and uh, in those laws God said things like if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer and the adulteress shall both be killed So what I know from that is I know God takes very seriously sin. And I know that he intends for us to do what he says. And one thing that the Gentiles were condemned for in Romans chapter 1 was not only did they do things that were against the will of God, but they approved those who did them. So there's sort of this constant struggle with how do we love people how do we how do we make sure that our children aren't learning more from the culture than they are from the teachings of God well the answer is we've got to do some teaching that's not what the the lesson is on today but that is a part of it more than just teaching, we've got to live out the teaching so that our children see the way God wants us to live. So I know there are things going on in the world and we almost shake our fist at them in anger. And it boils within us about how sinful the world is. Now the struggle I have is that as Christians... Sometimes the world is shaking its fist at us because to the world, we look very much like the Pharisees did to Jesus. The Pharisees had it right. Um, They were so careful to keep every law that God said that they tithed even their deal their mint, and their cumin, tiny spices, because God had told them to. They were so careful to wash their hands before they ate because they didn't want to defile anything. They fasted twice a day. They made sure they had it right. They even corrected Jesus when his disciples plucked grain. They wanted to make, oh, you're not keeping the Sabbath. Why don't your disciples keep the Sabbath? They're plucking grain. 
Jesus even said about the Pharisees that you'll travel across the world to make a proselyte, and when you do, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you did as they were before. He said to them, you shut the kingdom of heaven up to those who would enter. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. He said, you look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. told them to cleanse the inside first then the outside could be clean and so the world sees Christians sometimes like that sometimes it's not valid but sometimes it is so how do we do that because I know it is not wrong to say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Because it does matter. God sent his people into captivity. He had people killed because it matters. Somehow that's hard to equate. And I want you to know, the God of the Old Testament wasn't a different God than the God of the New Testament. God wasn't a mean guy that was going to get you in the Old Testament and now he's a nice guy and he won't hurt you. Same God. Somehow we have to make that fit. Somehow we have to make that fit. So I want to go to John chapter 8. There's a story about Jesus. Let's look at that. I'm going to begin reading in, in um, verse 1, chapter 8. <clears throat> verse 2. Early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. <clears throat> and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman, standing before him. Jesus looked up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Now I want us to think for a minute about the picture because this woman is a Jewish woman and she knows the law. And so she's been brought before these religious leaders. They don't really care about her. I'm not even sure at this point they care about the law but they want to trick Jesus. But anyway, 
They use the law of God. And so they say to Jesus, Moses says, kill her, what do you say? Perhaps she knows he's a prophet of God. Perhaps she even knows who he is. I don't know. But can you imagine the horror of all he had to do was say, stone her. And perhaps they would have taken her outside the city and stoned her. Just like they did in our lesson today about Stephen. Because for blasphemy, you could stone someone. And for adultery, the command was to stone her. Can you imagine how frightened she would be? And then Jesus writes in the sand, I really want to know what he wrote. Maybe someday we're going to ask, what in the world were you writing on the ground? I wish I had it on paper. But I do know what he did. He made a statement, and he just said, the one of you who is without sin, you cast the first stone. There's kind of silence for a minute. She's kind of waiting. Maybe they even have the rocks in their hands. I don't know. Maybe she's waiting to be hit. But then one guy walks off. He's the old gray-headed guy, you know. He's the oldest. Maybe that's because he's old enough to know that I ain't got it all right. Maybe he's honest enough inside to say, okay, I'm not sinless. And then they trickled on down to the young guys who have all the answers. Finally thought, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't throw it either. And they walk away. Jesus is still kneeling. The woman is still standing. Jesus looks up to her. He doesn't even look down at her. He looks up at her. And he says, where are they? She said, I don't know, but they're gone. And he said to her, wow. Look at that verse. Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Have you ever heard of people who were physically about to die and someone saved their life? Maybe a doctor figured out a weird thing and brought them back. Maybe it was somebody on the side of the road who rendered aid in a quick moment that saved somebody's life. Maybe it was somebody who gave a kidney to somebody who was dying and they got it on the last night before it was too late. We're always indebted to those people. Can you imagine what this woman felt like? Oh my goodness. She's finally thinking, maybe I can get out of here. So this is a confusing thing to me in some ways because in a lot of ways I'm very legal. I mean, if it says it, you do it. But God has always been concerned about people and his law was for people. Even when Jesus' disciples were condemned for working on the Sabbath, Jesus said, if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. Number one, I think they'd misinterpreted the law, but they also had no mercy. Because James says mercy triumphs over judgment. 
And he says, to those who have no mercy, you will be judged without mercy. I don't want to be judged without mercy. I don't want to be judged not doing the will of God. I don't think Jesus said to this woman, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. Just love God. Because see, really, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself does sum up all the law and the prophets. But we've distorted that because we think that when we say, just love God, it's a cheap deal. It just means, kind of have a good feeling about God. God is good, God is great, and He saves everybody. It's not what Jesus meant. It's not what we should mean, but loving people is harder sometimes than throwing stones. So I know this. I know Jesus did not condemn a woman who was guilty. And I know He did not say, it's okay, it doesn't matter. He said to her, it is a sin what you have done. Don't do it anymore. Why in the world would we think she would not do it again? We just let her off the hook and she's going to do it again. Maybe. But what if you had been in that spot? And you just knew you were fixing to be pounded by a bunch of rocks until you died. And all of a sudden, somebody cared enough about you that he spared your life. I think she saw who he was. I think she saw the love of God. And in my mind, the woman went and sinned no more. So there are a lot of kind of sins in the world. Some of them we shake our fist at worse than others. Galatians chapter 5 lists all kinds of sins that are of the flesh. I want to read them. Now the works of the flesh are plain. Fornication, that is sexual immorality. Impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. We can shake at those and we can say we can't tolerate that. And you young people, you need to stop all that sexual immorality. By the way, so do we old people. But then he gets into some other things that are works of the flesh. Strife. Jealousy. Anger. Selfishness. Dissension, sectarian spirit, envy. Anybody guilty of any of those? We all are. So, what I want to know from God and what I want us as individuals. 
Because if we are as individuals, then we are as a church. So if that woman comes in our church next week, are we going to stone her? Or are we going to love her enough to gather around her and spend time in her life and call her to God and to sin no more? In Romans chapter 1, the reason God gave up the Gentiles, he lists idolatry first. By the way, did you know idolatry is greed? Any Americans guilty of idolatry? Yeah, we are. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul is proving them guilty. The reason they were really guilty was because they didn't acknowledge God. And so he gave them up to idolatry and all kinds of passions. Women were exchanging, you know, women for men. Men exchanging women for, for men. We'd call that homosexuality and shake our hand at it. But in the very next section, in Romans 1, he gives them up to these things of the flesh. Envy, anger, jealousy, that we do. Now here's the truth. They're all wrong. Works of the flesh are wrong. And it's never okay to say something's alright that God says is not. But you know what? We all struggle with that. Anybody in here decide, I just won't ever be angry anymore. Anybody in here say, well, I'm, it's easy. Just don't be jealous anymore. There are some people that struggle with alcoholism and we say, well, just quit. Because I don't have trouble with that. It's easy to say. But for those who do, it's not that easy. They need somebody to walk with them. They need somebody to remind them that God doesn't want them to be a drunk. That God loves them enough that He doesn't want to stone them. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to acknowledge Him. He wants all of us to. So how can we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you the first thing that we as the children of God, and it's said over and over in the Old Testament, it's said in the New when God's people were really sinful, he would say, if you will humble yourself and call upon me, turn from your wicked ways, I will forgive you. So the first thing we're going to have to do is humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are sinful people. And when we see other people doing the big sins that we don't do, it's easy to scream about them. But we need to think first we can't throw the first stone because I'm still jealous and I'm still angry and I'm still living the American dream of materialism. Wow, let's not talk about that. So what are we going to do? We're going to humble ourselves before God. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. I even want to read that because it so, so fits in. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart, 
and an humble mind. And then in chapter 5, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. We're not going to be exalted because we get it all right. We're going to be exalted only if we humble ourselves before God. So if I'm a sinner, which I am, and if you're a sinner, which you are, and we want the mercy of God, should we not be merciful people? It's interesting to me, we studied not long ago about Micah, uh, the prophet Micah. And in Micah chapter 6, he says to them, want to know what the Lord requires of you? Interesting what he says. Act justly. That means be fair and right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's strange because Jesus said in Matthew 23 when he says, you tithe your deal meant and coming, but you've neglected the weightier or more important matters of the law. You know what he names? Justice, mercy, and faith. We are not going to heaven because we get it all right. And so if I get mad at you because you've got something wrong and we separate, we're not doing each other much good. So we need to be merciful people and we need to seek God. Because if we seek God, we will find Him. It's what Jeremiah told the people of God. So here's what I've got to leave you with. I don't really know how to do it and I'm really concerned because I hear so many things said that are not what God says. I see people living out in the name of God things that aren't what God says. At least, I don't think so. But I also know that if I ask the gay community in this country, what do you think Christians, how do you think they feel about you I'll bet that their answer would be, they hate us. So somewhere between calling us to God and stoning people, we've got to show what Jesus did to this woman. Because not everybody who sins, there's a lot of good people in this room today who really take care of people. There always have been. 
But all of us haven't conquered things and we bear with one another. I'm only going to say this because it's out there in the media and we're, we're fighting about it. The same-sex marriage thing was passed. We as elders tried to tell you in a way that we don't believe that's what God teaching because you are the people. You are God's people. And in some ways, that was probably even offensive. We probably didn't word things just right. But we want you to know as your leaders what we think God does. But I want you to think about this. There are a lot of good people who love God who experience same-sex attraction. And they wrestle with that just like I wrestle with anger. But they don't want you to know that and they don't want to come in this building because they think you'll throw a rock at them. And so, somehow, I want to know, can we be individuals in a church that woman caught in adultery, an alcoholic, a drug addict, a person who experiences same-sex attraction can come in this building and we will love them enough that they will see the love of God and we can call them to God And then they can walk with God. Are we not all trying to help each other follow the teachings of God? Don't we all need the help of each other? It's a challenging thought how we treat people. The world is not supposed to know any better. We are. So I'm asking us as the people of God to look at Jesus as the model of how we carry out the teachings of God. Because Jesus is the embodiment of the teachings of God. Because John tells us in the first chapter that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I know Jesus did the right thing in John chapter 8. He did not say it doesn't matter. But he loved a woman enough to not throw a rock at her and to call her to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you as your people. And we confess to you that we have failed at keeping your teachings. And we failed at trying to pass them on to others. Father, we want to do everything you tell us to do. And we are sorry when we don't. We want to love people the way you do. And we want to be able to see through the ugliness of sin and see the person that you created and love them in a way that we can 
Help them come to you, to call upon you. And even let them help us call upon you and correct the sin that's in our own life. Father, as a church here in Paris, Texas, we pray that we can be a church that people can come to and know that they will be loved, that they will be challenged with your will and called to you. And may we all acknowledge you and call upon you that you indeed will forgive us. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray.